0: Hello and welcome to The Paddock and the Pavilion with me, your host, Stephen Wallace. Today we are back with Cricket and Grace Bambury, an inspiring young woman who is currently a professional umpire and in the fourth year of her five-year medical degree at Keele University. Find out how Grace manages studying for her medical degree with the challenges of umpiring international players in the 100. It's an insightful look into how she balances the two roles – Transferring skills between medicine and cricket and giving 100% commitment to both. Hello, Grace. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: How are you today?
1: Good. Yeah. A bit tired, but cracking on.
0: Well, I can imagine you're tired. Um, I'm going to find out in this podcast how you do all your studying as a medical student at Keele University and umpire at the top level. And I think some of your, um, studying is uh, a lot more than even i know about so i'm looking forward to to finding out about that but briefly before we get into the the depths of umpiring uh, why did you take up umpiring
1: oh god it's a it's it's an old story but so my i did gcsep and as a part of my gcse curriculum you could sort of it was four sports and obviously, for me being a cricket player at the time, that was one of well, that was one of my four. But there was the option to do an officiating role as another sport, which kind of meant that I could do two to half of my GCSE just on cricket. So I did my local sort of North South South Cheshire ACO umpiring level one course as it was back then. I think the names have changed now, and that's how I sort of got on because I think that. At the time, I also saw it, I think I was, I was 15 when I got my qualification and I sort of saw it as I can do sort of lower league stuff and get, get a bit of Saturday, Saturday job money. And then it's kind of sort of developed from there. So as being the age I was, 15 at the time, uh, I went on to the ECB's sort of young officials pathway. And to be quite honest, my career has only really taken off in the past sort of two to three years. Like I did my first professional game in September 21. Um, obviously had quite a couple of years of umpiring sort of in the background, but it's kind of become a major part of my life in the past couple of years.
0: Well, you've made some really quite dramatic progress, but you're still only, only 22. So it was nothing to do with family, friends, club connections?
1: Not particularly. I guess sort of the reason I continue to pursue it is because I did play and I played for a variety of clubs both women's and mixed under 15s 17s etc and to have an umpire within that yes I was young but it it is beneficial like oh can can you just help on a Sunday we've got the under nines or we've got the under 15s that just need someone signed at square leg um and I did that and yeah that's kind of how I got into it. it wasn't it wasn't any family unfortunately or any friends I just kind of I always say, sometimes I say I fell into it. I chose to be there, but I fell into it in the fact that I at the time I didn't kind of see that this was going to A, be something long-term and B, be something that I could become professional at.
0: But you did play at county level, didn't you? So
1: yeah, Yes, I, I got that through high school as well. They put me for county trials when I was 13. So I played for staffs right up until, I believe, well, I made one county women's appearance, but... I played sort of all of my sort of junior life for county and I think we won one national title but I was kind of that player where you can put me anywhere and I can do an okay job. So I was never like top wicket sc- wicket taker, I was never top scorer. I was actually pretty decent in the field, had a good arm, was a good wicket keeper but was never anything I was never ever going to sort of get to that sort of academy sparks I think it was like West Midlands Wildcats way back then um, but yeah and sort of as all the commitments kind of came around I put playing on the back burner I mean I absolutely love I play for Milford in Staffordshire and I love sort of turning up every now and again to do you know a women's game on a Sunday love being involved love just kind of slipping right back in and sort of taking out all my weekly stresses on throwing some balls.
0: I hope you're, you're, you're on good behaviour with the umpires.
1: Oh, I mean, I definitely have sort of my, <laughs> not not challenges, but being an umpire and sort of seeing the umpires. I do kind of get a bit thingy in my own kind of brain where I sort of see things and I'm like, oh, good, good decision that, or I can see sort of like teammates kind of putting a bit of pressure on that, like, oh, give them a break.
0: Or do you get players, your own players, come up to you and say, did you think that was out? That was a bad decision.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it has happened. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I am one of the worst players for umpires because I will appeal from deep to leg. I will be on the boundary. And if I think I've heard a noise, I am screaming, even though I've got, I can't see it. I don't know what's going on, but I just get very enthusiastic sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's always nice to see, when you're a player, sort of how the other umpires manage you. Because a lot of the people sort of in my local league, yes, they know about me, but they, they don't necessarily recognise me when I'm in kit. So it's kind of seeing how they do their player management, how they make their decisions, their process making. It's all, it's all experience at the end of the day.
0: Well, talking about management, how do you manage your time? And could you, for listeners, explain a bit about your medical career because i know you're doing a degree but you're also i've seen you in front of helicopters and lots of different things as well
1: yeah so um i'm a fourth year medical student at keel it's a five-year course so i'm about 18 months away from qualifying which is slightly terrifying and i guess the way that i sort of use my medicine is i kind of try and compartmentalize it so uni is very much in the same way as school. You kind of run September to June-ish time, and then you get a summer holiday. So I use my time management around that and sort of I say to my managers that be look from September to June, my priority is my degree, but July, August, run me ragged, I'll do everything I can. And obviously sort of may and pre-season i guess sort of going all the way up to april like i do try and fit in where it is but i can't do midweek because my commitment is my degree i'm not going to push that to the side at the end of the day that's what i want to do i've worked very hard to get where i am um within that so and it's all about time management and you can do a lot you've just got to realize how to plan it so that you can get everything done and not let things fall behind and like you said, like I'm I'm interested in sort of emergency medicine. So I've got a cadetship with the RAF, which is a great opportunity. It's something I worked also really hard towards in my application with them. But it means that I quite like my specialist interest in sort of like emergencies and anesthetics, which are very sort of intense subjects and there's a lot of knowledge there. But I think the fact that I can do, you know, my basic medical degree and cricket and sort of show my specialist interest in like doing courses, doing volunteering. The the world is your oyster, is all I'd say.
0: So have you always wanted to be a, a doctor?
1: Ah, see, this is actually quite, well, I say funny. <laughs> I was a very spiteful child. And uh, someone once told me that I wouldn't be able to do it. So um, I kind of said, watch me. And here I am. And it wasn't kind of the same. In you see a lot of people say, oh, I wanted to be a doctor since I was three, when I was playing doctors and nurses. I kind of didn't have that experience like I loved science chemistry and biology were my favorite subjects loved a bit of maths as well but I wasn't quite as good as that um but I also like sort of the human aspect you get to make someone's life better and that's something that's very rewarding for me and I think that since starting my degree I've kind of fallen in love with a sort of different side of medicine than I originally thought. Like I thought originally that I was going to want to go into like general practice, but actually I quite like the emergency side a bit more because I like to be a lot more hands-on.
0: So with the RAF, do you shadow people when you're moving about in the helicopter, not not flying the helicopter?
1: No, not flying though. No. I'll leave that to more important people. Um, so I actually haven't done much work. I haven't done any medicine sort of in the back of the helicopter yet. Um, I did some work with sort of the, Um, what's it called it's called the the basics in North Staffordshire so it's kind of like a pre-hospital arrangement they work very closely with like Midlands Air Ambulance and that's sort of where those photos that you've seen have come from and they sort of provide on the ground care that then help with regards to the helicopters that then sort of transport the patients because they're a lot quicker than the ambulances Um, but no so the RAF uh, although they support me in my degree it's very much a, you go and get your degree with Kiel. So I'm a Kiel student. I would never, I wouldn't say that I'm an RAF student.
0: So have you got exams uh, this summer or so, a bit earlier than that?
1: So yeah, so my exams fall um, slap bang in the middle of the cricket season. And they are very, very important exams that I am already terrified about. But I've I've put in the work sort of leading up to Christmas, did quite well in my mock So I'm hoping that I can kind of keep my foot on the pedal without burning out and, you know, pass my exam. I've already spoken with the powers that be and said that, look, these are very important exams for me this year. Let's take a step off the cricket. As soon as I get that sort of email saying, congratulations, you've passed, fingers crossed, Um, you know, full course on sort of later July, August time fixtures.
0: Hi. I hope you are enjoying my chat with Grace Banbury. How does she fit everything into her busy life? Coming up later in today's show, Grace talks about her exciting first season in last summer's 100. Did you know you can now catch all episodes of The Paddock and the Pavilion in audio format on our YouTube channel. Now back to Grace. You mentioned the, the ECB a few times about the pathway Again, talking about your your degree there, have they been very supportive and has it been a very good programme? Sounds like it has been.
1: Yeah, so I, I mean I so I did the young officials pathway and I'm gonna be very honest with you, I couldn't tell you what that sort of looks like now now I've kind of migrated out of that. Um but I know it still exists and it's still sort of bringing new people through, which is great. Um but they sort of were very aware of you know, I was in my local league a 15, 16 year old girl walking on second-team, third-team cricket pitches surrounded by, you know, very stereotypically middle-aged men. And that was kind of a harsh sort of environment for me. I had to mature very quickly to sort of hold my own because I was the decision-maker at the end of the day. So they kind of provided some training on how to do that. And then as I sort of progressed to doing more sort of county underage or national finals they gave me the fixtures and they sort of provided me with the resources so putting observers in putting meetings in with you know umpire coaches now to kind of help me sort of progress to kind of get me to where I am and like currently they are I I couldn't I've got no complaints like they are very I tell them this is my priority and they kind of say okay well let's work around that and sort of we I think they call it mapping out so they mapped out my season so I kind of know roughly when it's going to be more cricket heavy when is going to be more sort of degree heavy so that that means that I am you know in I was in January planning for August which is really good for me
0: it sounds like a very good scheme and, and they're, they're they're obviously very good at um, their own time management now correct me if I'm wrong but list a debut in 2022 and 100,
1: 2023 20, uh, So I did, I did technically get my debut in 2021. I did the last game of the season at Derby, which was, I believe Loughborough Lightning versus, I want to say Thunder, but yeah, so I, I technically made my professional debut just at the end of that season. Um, but then, yeah, I thought my first full season was 2022 and you know in 2022 I did uh, a couple of fourths at the 100 and then obviously moving forward into 2023 did another full professional season and then sort of on field which was a very big step for me that was sort of my goal last last year I say last year oh god it sounds like forever ago but it wasn't that long ago but yes that was my goal and now I guess I know I'm sort of not on the same sort of trajectory other people because I can't commit the time to it so we're hoping to kind of keep it at the same level slightly progress in certain areas
0: but what are the demands as a as a young person 22 when you're umpiring profession to start with professional cricketers and then in the hundred international cricketers uh, what are the demands what are the differences when you're umpiring those different types of games
1: yeah so i think one thing that i kind of noticed and I guess it's very person dependent, but, you know, a lot of the other umpires that are doing your professional games, they've either been on the circuit a lot longer or a lot of them are ex-players. So they've come through their own sort of county rank structure or development rank structure and know a lot of people because of that. Whereas I'm obviously A, relatively new on it, on it, on it and I was also never sort of a professional player in that kind of respect. So, one of the major challenges I found it was sort of what it was definitely one of my my to-do lists for many years was getting to know players, getting to know managers, getting to know ground staff, sort of cementing those links. Because if you've kind of got the trust and you've got the communication to kind of sort of go to a captain just you know on the sly instead of having to make a very formal, then kind of changes the way that the game can pan out. You've got those kind of relations that help sort of diffuse certain scenarios or definitely take certain stresses away.
0: Yeah, I'd agree there. I mean, playing club cricket for a very long time, I think the people can be too officious, can't they? It's the umpires that really try to get to know the players but still have that degree of authority who gain more respect.
1: Yeah, because I, I guess what you, what you don't want to do is sort of, you've not got that that sort of relationship. And then the scenario means that you have to come in all guns blazing. And then all of a sudden the first impression is, oh, my gosh, they're quite harsh or they're quite intense. Whereas if you kind of got a bit of a relationship prior to that, they can be like, okay, she's obviously made that call because it's necessary.
0: But umpiring uh, international players, how has that been?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had my fair share of intense players sort of when I was playing. And then umpiring is a different kettle of fish because especially when you're talking about the hundred you are officiating people who have renowned reputations for a being incredible but potentially being intense as well and to come to come into that scenario when there's a couple of people which a i've never met before so i can't i can't sort of comment on what they were like but also they don't know me and you're coming in and being like oh people have said that they're quite harsh i better i better not sort of get stressed i better not show them that i've got any weakness you've kind of got to build that into sort of your preparation plan and be like okay well they might come at me all guns blazing i've got to stand strong i've got to think about what i'm doing sort of present a logical argument diffuse situations if there's you know known prior escalations etc
0: and of course the hundred you're going to be on tv got a lot bigger crowds haven't you
1: yeah i mean the 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 crowd thing was something I thought would bother me a lot more than it actually did because as soon as you're there, I'm only focused on the ball, the bat, and the stumps. Those are the sort of the three main things that I'm looking at, and then obviously play players peripherally. But the noise was something I was told to prepare for because how are you meant to hear the sort of was it glove? Is it bat? There's sixteen thousand people shouting that kind of thing and it's all about sort of tuning yourself in so kind of taking a step breathing being like okay this is okay next ball wait next ball and the tv thing that was quite funny because my mum and my dad said that I had a bit of a like they said I sounded different on tv than I did in real life they said I was putting an accent I don't think I was um but then also just the fact that I, I was on TV—it's quite surreal to me at the age of sort of twenty-two—to think that I was sort of on Sky Sports regularly across summer—wouldn't have thought that ten years ago.
0: <laughs> well, I looked through your—and you must know these well—but your three hundred games so far. Um, I picked out words for each one. That, I mean, the first one I put down was exciting, and I actually recall coming in. I don't know where I've been seeing the end of the first game, which was um, the uh, the Welsh fire and the Birmingham Phoenix. And then you did the Welsh fire and the Trent rockets, which I put down as record breaking. And then the third game was the Trent rockets against, I think the Birmingham Phoenix again, which was, I put down emotional. So, you must let us know a bit more about those three games that I've just talked about.
1: Yeah. So obviously for me, sort of Birmingham Manchester is what I class as home soil, being from Staffordshire. So I kind of didn't have the, the travel. So I actually arrived to the ground about five, five hours early. Definitely didn't need to be there that early, but I was just had a bit of anxious energy, sort of, okay, this is what I prepared, prepared for. And as soon as you walk out on the pitch, I think my first over was Izzy Wong. There was a first and final for a waist high no ball. I think there was an appeal. There was a front foot no ball, maybe a wide ball as well. Like I remember, my first five balls were very sort of cognitive intense. There's a lot of processes, and especially sort of being on TV, you've got the head you've got the headset that instead of me having to look for a front foot. Someone else is looking at the front foot, and it shouts in my ear. And that was something I experienced for the first time, sort of on that day. Um, but that that game was unreal. It was a lovely it was a lovely day. I had some people from Milford, um, the Smiths, coming to watch me, which was really nice to kind of have some support in the crowd. I knew that family and friends were watching at home as well. And the game, wow! I mean, it went down to I think did they need? I think they needed four of the last three balls. And yeah, I remember it, they
0: didn't need many off the last set and yet they still didn't win.
1: Yeah, so I think only, I think only four of the last three balls, and Shaman Ishmael came in and she was like, this is what I'm going to do. And then obviously got the first wicket, the second wicket, and then I believe it was Izzy Wong that was batting. And it was kind of like, this could be a four and Birmingham Phoenix win, or it can be out. And then not only has she got a hat-trick, but they've won the game. So... I was kind of standing there at the time thinking, oh, my God, this could go. This could literally be anything. Be prepared. And then as soon as sort of I called time, you know, that stump started lighting up. And I was, I was like, OK, relax. And I got home in the hotel that night. Oh, my gosh, the energy. I was vibrating off the walls. It was just electric. And then, yeah, moving sort of forward, I had another record-breaking game. You know, Tammy Beaumont hitting a 118 surreal the
0: 61 balls pardon
1: 61 balls yeah 118 of 61 balls not only I think it was the first 100 ever hit in the women's game like first century and then also the way she manoeuvred about the creeps like as an umpire I was sort of like wow this is anything could happen and obviously I, I gave her out to which she reviewed and I think she was on 76 at the time and it was uh, the the faintest little bit, just pitching outside a leg. So that's something I never used before. Never used um, sort of ball tracking, and to have to go. Okay, I need to review my decision. I need to change change it to not out. And then having, I mean, it was. I guess in the end, it was a great great call because you know she she got hundred and eighteen, and if you know that didn't happen, it wouldn't have been quite as a momentous day. But you know, some learning points from there for me personally. And um, she came up to me and she was like, I I also kind of thought it was a fair shout for out. But, you know, I was on 76 and I was having a good knock. I just reviewed it just instantly because why not? And, you know, wasn't out. and very glad that the correct decision was made in the end. But, yeah, I think as you as you came off, you saw Welsh Fire be a bit emotional kind of from where they come in the first couple of seasons of the 100 to sort of where they are now, miles apart. And then yeah, so Trent Bridge uh, was quite not not an emotional game for myself, but I, I got trapped in the car park before that game, so I was having a bit of a stress in the morning because I couldn't get to the game, which was, which just wasn't fun. But um, I had my family later come, so I had like both sets of parents come to watch, which was lovely. Uh, it hadn't happened before. I think they had a record-breaking crowd of like over nineteen thousand. You know, it was relatively sort of close for me, so I had sort of like friends and family just around and about and then uh, it was Catherine Brunt's last game and to watch that sort of lap of honour at the end was it it was quite emotional I remember obviously at the time I couldn't see her up close but sort of watching it back in the evening how emotional all of the team were as they sort of did that lap It it was it was it was a very nice moment and sort of If anyone can have a debut season where they've got those kind of three games, I think they're doing quite well.
0: Yeah, you certainly had an action-packed start, didn't you? Uh, How different is it umpiring a game in the 100?
1: Well, I can't sort of speak with regards to sort of like the different formats. Obviously, it is a completely different format anyway. But I think the, the biggest difference are sort of the televised aspect there's a lot more sort of personal planning that goes on with regards to it. So, you know, you've got to learn all of the, I know it sounds silly, but like when you do sort of review, I've got to say certain things into my microphone so that Hawkeye comes up in the correct manner, so that the third umpire understands sort of what's gone on, what decision i have give, what the players are actually appealing against. So it's a lot kind of more mentally heavy in that respect but then sort of you've got a bit more of a backup as well with the third whereas in you know cc rachel Flint, you don't have that third umpire to kind of say oh well i can see on sort of like the drone cam that you know you've got a player that's coming into the ring or this there's, there's, there's three out instead of two so it sort of helps in that kind of respect obviously they're checking the front foot whereas we're not checking the front foot because they've can um, slow it down a lot more and it's a lot more accurate than we would be so it's kind of either altering your process from I'm going to look at front foot then I'm going to look at the batter to sort of I'm just going to look at the batter depends on your preference some people like to still look at the front foot because then they've got a gist of whether they think it's going to get called but with regards to the actual cricket it's exactly the same game you know the laws are very similar I think in the first year the catching law was a bit different but now that's sort of made its way into everything else but yeah it's, it's, it's a lot more sort of management on sort of the communication side the teamwork side you've got a lot more people sort of around you but at the end of the day cricket's cricket and it's a lot of fun so a lot of, the 100 is a lot of fun
0: I can see how if in a close game though a really tight game how sort of stressed out head not stressed out but how sort of full your head must be at the end of a game
1: yeah definitely I guess like that's where sort of your process is on pitch so if you've got good processes good routines you can sort of always fall back onto those when things get tough you can kind of go okay my head's a bit scrambled let's tear it all down to basics okay what's going on what do I need to focus on right now cracking on with those kind of processes but then also what I think is really good is sort of that that post-match debrief because a lot can go on without actually interfering with the results of the game or the way that the game's played. So a lot can go on sort of behind the scenes or a lot can go on where it doesn't have a particular outcome at the time, but then, you know, getting your team together, getting all four umpires, you know, the match referee, other sort of coaches or players if, if needed to kind of go, okay, this is the situation. How do we feel? Does anyone have any comments? Do we think we could have managed this differently? Those kind of things is it's a great sort of sort of decompressor because what you don't want to do is sort of get in your car and then walk home with your brain still on a thousand because you, you're not really going to relax. And you sort of in, in a tournament like the hundred, where it is so game intense, that downtime and that sort of okay, it's over, close the door, is really important because otherwise you can kind of like burn yourself out a little bit and what you don't want to do is sort of come into your next game not at your best
0: could even the studying help with your umpiring because that's you know processes really when you're studying
1: yeah i, I mean i guess that i i use a lot of transferable skills between sort of my medical career and my umpiring career you know people skills team management sort of weighing up different opinions making fast intense decisions it's in something that happens in both things but then I also kind of sometimes use medicine not as a decompressor that's incorrect word but it's something completely different so I can kind of close off and be like okay no more for today but let's do you know a bit of revision or let's look over this topic or this disease I kind of like that because then I'm not not doing any medicine work but then I'm also not just completely focused on cricket.
0: Well, that's almost a skill in itself to be able to, to switch off and switch from one to the other.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think it's something really important because I, I've noticed a couple of times where, you know, for whatever reason, the degree is quite intense, but also cricket's quite intense. So game heavy, but then also revision heavy. And what you don't want to do is sort of, instead of giving, I don't know, 75% of your concentration to one, is to sort of go fifty percent of both, but actually you're not te- you're not you're not sort of excelling in either one. Cause I guess if you if you're doing cricket but your mind's on medicine, then you know you might miss a decision, or if you're doing medicine but you focus on cricket, I'm not going to take in the knowledge that I need to take in.
0: On the subject of the hunger, what about your thoughts on the growth of women's cricket in general?
1: I mean, there's a lot of changes coming in and I think it's great. You know, the 100 has sort of done what they intended it to do. You know, it's bringing youth in, it's bringing more women in, it's bringing families in. And you, you see that, A, in the crowds, but B, also in the support. So the amount of people that sort of go and join the local club or go, go, and look, go to a training session is great. I think a lot of sort of reviewing by the ECB sort of going on in the background. I think I saw a press release the other day where... You know they've they've decided to up the the funding to women's cricket. They're restructuring it. They I think they say they wanted to triple the amount of women and girls within cricket sort of by twenty twenty five. And you know the salary increase in the hundred as well. It obviously shows it's working and it's doing it's doing well because otherwise they wouldn't be able to sort of put that money towards it, which is really good to see. And like realistically, it can only get bigger because I don't think people are going all of a sudden become less interested in it. Um, but you know, it's it's just amazing to sort of see it kind of it's happening at the top end, but it's also happening at grassroots, sort of coming from both or well, all aspects of like the chain to grow the youth, grow the women's teams.
0: We had a fabulous Ashes uh, last summer as well, women's Ashes.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, and I mean, I think I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I am the, the worst when it comes to longer format games like the Ashes because I I can't pay attention for that long um especially with all the other things going on but I'd come home and I'd see you know highlights I'd see sort of how the game had panned out and people were like coming to me and saying this is very sort of technically intense this could go either way there's great cricket being played by both teams and I guess at the end of the day it was entertaining you know Tammy wants double double century unbelievable and sort of some of the the wickets that have been taken. I think it was Lauren Fyler's debut and I was sat with her family while she was taking wickets left, right and centre, which is great, great to see as well. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's a sport, it's it's there to be entertaining. And, you know, if, you know, the end of the Ashes, the end of the 100, people are entertained, regardless of results, regardless of whether players have had good days or bad days, you know, they, they've done what they've set out to do, which is to sort of entertain people.
0: And umpiring, I, I hesitate to say women's umpiring, but uh, because umpiring is umpiring. But giant strides being made by uh, lots of female umpires.
1: Yeah, there's, there's I mean, the achievements being sort of made left, right, and centre. And you know, it's just just a testament to the hard work. I think Sue is, you know, what, what we class as our pioneer, and she's making waves in you know the men's world, the women's world um you know the every sort of umpiring aspect there is and it's happening not just in the UK it's happening over different continents as well which is great and you can really kind of see it because we you know we're having sort of people come and observe us now at professional games we're having more female umpires come into the team which is you know when you take it back to sort of the 2021 season you know that wasn't that wasn't a thing you'd you'd struggle to get you know a tournament with predominantly female umpires whereas now it's kind of if it's if we can appoint them we will which is which is really great to see actually
0: and are we seeing more young graces coming through as well
1: i'm not too sure on that i think i i try my best sort of locally i mean i'm not the greatest person because i'm not sort of around too much locally but Everyone I've spoken to has been like, well, we need to get more people in. And, you know, those courses going on. We had um, Sue actually last year put together the first, I believe, professional sort of women's conference for umpiring and, and scoring as well. And I think we had nearly nearly 70, 70 people come. And, you know, the demographic wasn't just sort of there was people my age, people younger, which was great to see. And so sort of, it was a real sort of mixed bag of A, sort of career types, players, non-players, scorers, umpires, different ages. And, you know, it was, it was great to see. And I'm hoping that those things are still sort of happening in the background that probably the public aren't seeing. But we are, getting, we are definitely getting more people coming sort of through to, you know, very good level cricket, which is great.
0: And do you have time to relax apart from cricket and studies? or or are they your forms of relaxation
1: I get told a lot by a variety of people to take a break which is it's very good because sometimes I forget I think uh, I try to do everything I can which to my own detriment sometimes but yeah I, th- I try to relax I think I've got a great set of friends um both at home and at uni which is great um I've got a really lovely boyfriend he he's very nice to me and we do a lot of relaxing things and love coming back with my family and sort of chilling out those kind of ways I, I wouldn't say I'm not one of those person that goes hiking for relaxation that doesn't sort of interest me I'm definitely more of a can kind I of lie horizontally with a book and maybe a cup of tea that's kind of my relaxation method and um I do quite like sort of like my sport and reading so I tend to do those sort of to decompress try and as much as possible to take my mind off everything
0: 2024 then you you're not going to be umpiring until you say July
1: no no see I guess I, I will be I will be umpiring before then but sort of not to the same extent as previous years just because I've got very important exams and they are my priority right now um but 2024 I'm hoping it's actually are not going to look too different to last year that'd be that'd be in an ideal world um so sort of those plans going ahead um already with regards to like availability sort of what I am personally planning as my goals so both you know medicine non-medicine cricket other things and you know it's kind of we're gonna see how it pans out because I've got this I've got this picture in my head of how it's going to work and how I'm going to manage to do everything but you know things happen life happens and I'm hoping to sort of you know, progress at a, steady, at a steady rate. I know that I can't do, I can't jump and start doing internationals, but definitely sort of ticking away at sort of continuing to do sort of the high level games, such as a hundred more sort of CEC games, Rachel Hayle games, sort of keep myself ticking over.
0: Oh, that's good to hear. So you, you, you still think that going forward, you're going to carry on, you know, reach the high standard at umpiring, but you will carry on umpiring.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, no one knows what life holds and I I mean I don't quite know myself what I've I've got these plans of um, sort of what's going to happen after I graduate but obviously then I will be within a job which is probably a lot less flexible and not sort of Monday to Friday as uni is so sort of longer term sort of pushing past 2025 I don't know is the quite honest answer I hope that I will sort of be able to find a balance it might be that Sort of, I reach my level of, you know, a couple of domestic games, a couple of professional games, but, you know, I'm not a regular umpire weekly because I can't do that because I work shifts. But sort of keeping myself sort of up to standard, up to scratch, I will be very upset if all of a sudden I have to stop umpiring. But, you know, we will see and we will manage it as we get to it.
0: <laughs> very best of luck. Uh grace with your exams firstly
1: thank you <laughs> and um,
0: the best of luck for the summer of 2024 it seems a long way off at the moment but uh, and hopefully we'll see you in action on the television um, uh, at the 100 in 2024
1: hopefully yeah that's that's the plan it all goes it all goes
0: well uh, thank you very much for joining me
1: thank you so much for having me it's a lovely to chat